0: Hello and welcome to Social Work Stories. I'm Mim Fox, and I'm here with my lovely co-host Liz Murphy. Hello, Liz. Hello, Mim. Hi, everyone. We are coming to the end of the year, Liz. God, I feel it. I know. So do I. And um, and I'm excited about tonight's episode. We're gonna hear a story from a young social worker who's been working in a really interesting space, actually. Mm. He's, um, he's working in a mental health uh, support group for and with young people. So working in partnership with them, which I think is really interesting. Um, and as a young social worker, he raises a lot of interesting points about his practice, about his capacity, and uh, about his personal vulnerabilities as well. Just on that, this program, because this really fascinates me,
1: this one, because my understanding is that... The program is run by young people who have done the program previously, who are then trained to support the next group of young people who are participating in the group. Yeah, that's right. And so they've actually um, done their own work, the facilitators, and then they are then supporting and facilitating the group for... The next round and I just think that's a wonderful model I don't think I've heard of this one before
0: look it's really interesting and it builds on that whole history around grassroots movements Mm. and grassroots uh, organizations being started by people with lived experience right yeah and you know back in the 80s particularly I would say we had a number of organizations starting in this state in New South Wales um, but around the country that were about people's lived experiences don't hear about it as much anymore so interesting to have this example being presented to us Mm. but also I think um, what makes it interesting and the take on it uh, that's worth our discussion and analysis is actually because he is a young social worker it's interesting for the audience to really pick up on that that this is someone who's been practicing only for a couple of years and uh, having to deal with the maturity around some of the issues that young people bring in their lived experience um, to this sort of vulnerable setting. And such an exciting
1: position, like for anyone in their career, but especially coming out and having this as your first job. And you could you could hear his um, sense of awe and privilege around working with these young people. I was just so moved by that. And then something in my heart kind of then kind of switched to sadness because he was a person who so valued the his, his work and the clients and holding space for
0: them. But somewhere in there, he kind of broke. A bit. Yeah, he got a bit lost. So I think you and I both had some really emotional reactions to this story. Mm. I think we now need to let the audience hear it and have their own reactions and then we're going to come back and we're going to, get into a bit more depth about what we were thinking while we were listening to it yep good idea all right let's do it
2: I worked at a really fantastic youth service as the wellbeing manager. Uh, at this youth service, I suppose, we ran group workshops for young people uh, in the community, in high schools. We also had a really fantastic in-house leadership program. Uh, generally, we worked around matters of of, gen- of wellbeing, of mental health, uh, but I guess the overarching endeavour of the programs was to empower young people in their journey of self-development and that can be interpreted in any which way certainly it's a lot of it's about understanding identity understanding place providing a a sense of belonging and um, commitment to improvement and growth Uh, and it's a really nurturing environment and a really privileged one to be in especially as the social worker so in this context, I I was not the facilitator. Um, the facilitators are actually young people who run work for other young people, which is an awesome model. Uh, it's referred to, I guess, academically as youth participation. Uh, but my role as the social worker was, uh, I guess, to be a passive participant and observer, but to support the other young people who were on this journey. So this often meant that you know, disclosures would come up through this process of shifting perspectives and reconstructing narratives and all of the, you know, really effective tools and techniques that facilitators use. It's my role then to step in and to support that young person after the moment of disclosure. So often this means in the moment, certainly um, debriefing and, and helping to hold and carry some of the emotions that come with that. Uh, But to follow up afterwards and make sure that when young people are leaving our programs that they are still feeling supported, that there is a path that's laid out in front of them. And I guess that's where the social worker's expertise comes into the picture, uh, really assessing the life of the young person and looking at making appropriate referrals outside of the organisation while maintaining their connection and journey uh, within the program. Uh, I suppose... The matters of disclosures vary into all pockets of your imagination. Certainly there was a lot of talk around mental health, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, the management or ill management of suicidal ideation. Um, I guess as as one of the intended products of creating such a safe, nurturing and trusted environment, young people often bring up traumas that they have held on to for a really long time. And so it was was it not uncommon at all to hear stories of sexual assault and abuse, uh, whether current or past. So for me, I guess, as the social worker, it was about holding those responses, um, making sure that young people felt believed and validated, that their stories were not frightening for the people that were listening to them and that there were supports around and in front of them that were really prepared and comfortable to go into that conversation and to work towards solution at whatever pace they they felt comfortable with. And there's certainly some degree of um, using counselling skills. Uh, Certainly you lean a lot on your intuition and your ability to provide care in a really respectful way that responds to the young person that you're working with. But that process, I guess, of responding, it it happens in the moment, but it it continues beyond the moment. Uh, And it happens in follow-up conversations, it happens in the referrals, it happens in the support of accessing services, but it happens away from the young person as well. It happens as you debrief your experience, as you walk away from that experience. And I guess part of it as well is is making sure that other people in the room see and trust in the support that is available to them and to their peers. I mean, first and foremost, it is an absolute pleasure and privilege rather to be in that position. For me, seeing a young person feel empowered enough uh, to invest in their trust in you, in the process, in the program, to seek help, to overcome barriers, to challenge themselves, to want to do better, to be better. And to be allowed and invited into that journey is pretty special. So I think that each time these things happen, whilst often incredibly heartbreaking, there is a real deep sense of, of gratitude. Um, and often, given the intimate relationship that we often have with our participants, there's a, there is a sense of pride in, in, in being able to take that step with the young person. What does it do to me personally, however? Yeah, I, I guess... We are human. We are trained to hold these moments and we are trained to know what to do with them. And we are skilled professionals in that regard. But beneath that, we are deeply empathetic people who allow ourselves often to feel what others are feeling. And that doesn't go away at the end of the program. You don't go home and, you know, pat yourself on the back You go home and you you worry and you stress and you wonder because you do, I guess you do hold a lot of responsibility and certainly that was the case for me. Um, Being the only social worker within my office meant that I was often without the opportunity to debrief. I was without a place to take a lot of that baggage and so it went with me and it went home. And I guess it was also, the process was perhaps a little bit more nuanced than that. And this is certainly an isolated example in in relation to the organisation that I worked in. But because of that really fantastic structure that I mentioned earlier, it also made the line between client and colleague really blurred and really difficult. Um, Our in-house leadership programme This was about training young people to run the work. A lot of these young people, in fact, were employed by the organisation, many of who had access to my personal details, many of who saw my relationship with them as both professional and as friend. And I think in my endeavours to be really authentic in my care for them, I guess it created a a sense of trust that was that they felt comfortable to call upon at any moment so you mentioned what does it, you ask what does it do when i when i leave the workshop i certainly have my own uh, tools and strategies for managing some of these emotions but continuing that relationship outside of the workplace often receiving calls in the middle of the night on the weekends assisting in referrals, whatever it might be, really around the clock, kind of on call, meant that my sense of responsibility was significantly amplified. And so that sort of natural degree of caution and concern that I carried for the young people was made more difficult by feeling like I needed to be the person that was there to catch them when they fell. And it certainly never my it was never an intention of mine to create that create that dynamic. It was always about empowering young people to support themselves, but I had a lot of I felt a, a lot of challenge around creating the appropriate boundary. Because often for me, it felt as though I was The trade-off I was making in doing so was my authentic and genuine concern and care. For me and my experience, it got to a point where it had reached its peak. I guess it was a number of things at once which made the role really demanding and really difficult. Certainly the lack of opportunity to debrief was really important. The absence of external supervision Having a supervisor interstate meant that this was a fairly isolated role uh, and one that was really difficult for me as a very young social worker. And it took a couple of really... uh, And it was a couple of experiences that knocked me around a little bit, Um, that left me feeling quite burnt out. And I actually got quite sick as a consequence of that and um, just had developed, yeah, and ended up needing to take a month off work and really reflecting deeply upon my position. And not whether or not I had the capacity to do it anymore, but whether I actually had the capacity to support the young people in the way that they needed to Whilst attending to all of the other demands um, of my schedule, and it and it ended in the decision to to step out of that role um, and have a really important conversation with the organisation around some of these matters of boundaries and the demands of the role, and you know one such thing was the the essential nature of external supervision for a lone social worker. How the job really needed to be four days um, and perhaps putting in some really clear guidelines and procedures around boundaries.
1: Wow. Actually, that's the third time I've heard it and I, I, I get moved every time I hear it actually in a in a deeper way yeah um and you could hear his emotional reaction to it too Uh, I'd be really curious to know whether he had spoken about it in the way that our interviewer asked him to that long pause, you could really hear how much the work had impacted on him, and I was so moved by that.
0: Yeah, uh, the actual admission of the impact on him as a person, mm. um, which you don't often see, do you? Actually, uh, there's a lot of bravado amongst our profession, I think. Actually, so, so true. I just want to say to people, that's not
1: me, that's a That's Mim's cat. (laughs) That's Maxie. He's our mascot on the podcast. I just want to comment on the emotional impact on him too. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. But like, Mim, I can't help but think of myself as a new social worker Uh, and to have been involved in a program like that, I honestly don't know whether I would have been able to have coped with it and had the sophisticated understanding that this guy has around the privilege of the work the the boundary stuff the way he articulates that
0: I was in awe (laughs) yeah yeah me too but I'm wondering Liz whether it's because he's so close to the young people and their experiences in that space Mm. that is so challenging I'm I'm just thinking about how much more intense it is what he's experiencing in that space because there's a group of young people, some of whom have been trained to run this group. Mm. His role is dual, right? So his role is to support the young people who've been trained to facilitate yeah, but also to support the impact on the young people who are participants. Oh, it, it is honestly mind-blowing really because
1: those facilitators he would have a close relationship with that's right he knows their story he knows their vulnerabilities yeah so he's kind of as you say he's he's looking after them plus there's this unknown in the group participants Mm. What, what are they going to come out with what are they going to what are they going to be sharing with the group and how are they going to do that in a way that's safe it
0: is so layered it's so layered and I think when we talk about lived experience in social work, and I just want to go back to the point we made in the introduction to our episode. When we talk about lived experience, uh, what we're meaning is actually a person who is has actually gone through an experience themselves. So they're not just talking about an experience, theorising around an experience, uh, analysing an experience. There's no distance for them. This is their experience themselves. Mm. And in this situation, you've actually got two layers of that, haven't you? Yeah. You've got the participants who've had the lived experience of mental health and the impact on them. Uh, But then you've got the same happening for the facilitators. That sort of uh, process was really common historically um where uh, support groups would flourish and be born from groups of people who had the same experience coming together and seeking support from each other and through that came advocacy came uh cries to government for funding came the creation of different organizations a lot of what we have today comes from those grassroots organizations Mm. But I have to say we don't hear about that so much anymore, Liz. Like when we hear about new organisations being created now, often it's as a result of philanthropy. Mm. So someone famous had an experience themselves or in their family and then there's been a big bequest. And so an organisation has created um, a uh, service or an agency uh, but we don't hear about it in the same way as being born from collective lived experience. So that's interesting. So if
1: there isn't as many of those agencies or services existing now, how does someone like this social worker know how to be in, in this space? H- how did he know how to... Yeah. Work in that space, how to, as he says, how to hold
0: the young people. Yeah. And so, one thing that the audience, the listeners can't see on this podcast is the actions you're doing with your hands, Liz, while you're talking about holding the space, is that you're actually physically creating a sphere in front of you. And I think for, we've now come to realize there's lots of people who aren't social workers who are listening to our podcast which is lovely, (laughs) but I do think we therefore need to have a conversation for a minute Mm. about what does holding the space mean Mm. because uh, if I were to say that to the average person in the world, uh, they would say that's the most airy-fairy, wishy-washy, throwaway phrase that could ever be said. Or in its literal sense, you'd be saying you could get yourself
1: into a whole lot of trouble oh yeah those young people
0: oh yeah yeah don't be holding those young people no
1: yeah so we're not talking about it in the physical sense at all at all at all
0: so let's break down what we're actually talking about Mm -hmm. if we had a social work student that was here with us right now how would we describe it Liz
1: it's a creation of a safe space So in the context of this social worker, he talks about how he would be holding the disclosure so that the young people disclosing were able to do this in a way that allowed them to be vulnerable but knew that they were in an environment where they were going to be listened to, um, where they were going to be supported in that. Um, They were not going to be judged because there were others in the room that could connect with what they were talking about and I'm I'm assuming that is incredibly important for these young people especially and I got the sense that this for some of them it was the first time that they had disclosed things like sexual abuse physical abuse various forms of trauma for the first time they're talking about this stuff so he must have and and i the other thing that occurred to me that in that creating of a safe space there's a whole lot of training that's been going on with the young facilitators around how they ask questions listen to people give permission to speak um create rules around how they engage as a group how they don't Give advice. how they don't judge, how they actually
0: just let that person tell their story in the way that they need to at the time. And I think that's the essence of it, Liz, is that's actually when we talk about creating a safe space, we're actually talking about a judgment-free space where the story itself is valuable and has permission to be heard, mm. right? So the phrasing that the social worker is using allows for those opportunities to occur, the, um, the way that they are connecting with people in that group is validating all of the individuals and their own individual experiences, uh, whether that's through their eye contact, whether that's through the words they choose, whether that's through the positioning of their body. Uh, when we actually are talking about how do you create a safe space... This is, I think, where it becomes actually a very practical skill that social workers are utilising and stops being that wishy-washy
1: concept. And so let's imagine this social worker sitting a little bit away from the group. The thoughts that must be going through his head in terms of the, the, the young person who's currently disclosing then he'd be watching the facilitators getting a sense of, are they going to be able to um, hold this person in this conversation? Are they going to be okay in the holding of this person? Because he would know their stories. Is he worried that they might be triggered by this? Is he also keeping an eye on another person in the group who might be, starting to cry um is he noticing the eye rolling or the oh you know the 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 maybe a little bit of disrespecting going on another
0: honestly like group work practice is the ultimate in multitasking totally like you are watching everybody for everything all the time
1: and let's just remind people this is a social worker one two years out absolutely on
0: his own absolutely let's let's really (laughs) <laughs> hammer that message home oh, it's impressive it's, it's really so impressive. impressive it's so
1: impressive i mean the other thing that i um i, I guess is worth pondering is the boundary mm. issue here and how complex it is in this framework yeah and i wanted to say to you something that he said and get your reaction he re- he said he referred to the group as client and colleague so I'm assuming it's he's meaning the facilitators client and colleague they're the same person like how do you get your head around that one
0: yeah but also he referred quite often to the personal and the professional didn't he in the same breath he said that he was the social worker and the friend that's right, and that these people had his phone number, yes.
1: Um, he was on, um, he was able on to call be contact- to them. Yeah 24 /7. That's
0: right. That's right. That they knew things about him, mm-hmm. personal things about him. So the boundaries were incredibly blurred. Yeah, yeah. But then, what actually stood out for me, that in the middle of all those dichotomies that he was putting out there, he also said it was human the way he was interacting and the relationship he had was human and I thought actually that undercuts everything because often in social work practice we often forget what is human and what is our skills
1: mm.
0: yeah and it often happens in everyday conversation when um, somebody thinks that a social worker is being a bleeding heart to a friend or to a relative they'll say don't you social work me <laughs> don't you social work them I'm always slightly confused by what that means because over time what happens is that your social work skills are you. Hmm. They are how you relate. And the values that social work holds are human values. So I quite liked that he threw that in there in the midst of it all.
1: I think you're right. And I think um, his comment about
0: authenticity What did he say? He said, endeavouring. Yeah. Endeavouring to To be authentic. Endeavouring to be authentic. Yes. I loved that phrase. Yeah. You know, um, it's often new social workers that feel that they have to strive for authenticity, that it's actually a challenge, and it's over time that you are authentic in the role anyway. Is it when you feel...
1: Like you can actually bring yourself into the position where it's not as dichotomous, as you say. Mm. It's actually... It feels like it's a comfortable fit, the amount that I share of myself as a person, the the, the who I am as a professional. Um, it's tailored a little more to myself. I feel comfortable in it. That's right.
0: And you're not second-guessing your responses all the time, I yeah. think, as well, that actually... Uh, the responses you're giving that person when they're being emotionally vulnerable with you in mm-hmm. that space you've created uh, are the responses you would give all the time to anyone? They're human responses. Yes, actually. yeah. Um, I think where the social work comes in is that you're aware of the the real extent of the vulnerability of the person that's sitting in front of you mm. and you're protecting them in that moment. And he really did feel
1: that. Like yeah. I think at one point he said I needed to be the person to catch them when they fell. Hmm. Wow, what a big
0: responsibility. He really felt an immense sense of responsibility to these young people, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they they must have felt it. They oh, must have they felt
0: would've. it because
1: to actually the sharing of themselves in the way that they did, they must have felt that they were in safe hands. But I'm going to have a rant now. Go. Go, Liz. I'm going. I'm going. You know what I felt so pissed off about, to be honest, was here is this guy who's doing a whole lot of holding for a whole lot of the facilitators and young people. And who the hell was holding him? Yeah, that's right. On a on a higher level, who was holding him? He became unwell from it. He became burdened by the responsibility. Um, and he was having to come up with, oh, you know, in hindsight, I think I needed supervision.
0: <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, there's a magic word. I
1: needed some debriefing, you think? <laughs>
0: yep. Like,
1: where's the responsibility of the agency? This is a bloody fantastic program that they're running yep why aren't they looking after the person who's who's part of the success
0: of this program but do you think Liz there's something here about the invisibility of the work he was actually doing Mm -hmm. because actually on paper he wasn't running that group the young people were I often think about social work practice as you know the magic behind the curtain right Mm. Like there's someone, there's a puppeteer pulling strings and you can't see often what the impact of that social worker is on the ground. And it's only when we hear him speaking about the work he's doing that we can actually see how important those invisible bonds flying around that room that he's watching and taking care of and having responsibility for throughout, how very clear those bonds are. But actually from an outside perspective and definitely from a um, a bureaucrat's perspective when they're looking at the paperwork, that social worker didn't look like he was doing very much. Oh, my God, I hope they're listening to this podcast. Well, so do I, clearly. But I do think that's where the shirking of responsibility in that scenario happens, Mm. that until he breaks, it's not obvious the impact on him. And I think that's the shame of it. Yeah. And I, and I do think there's a deep shame in that, that mm. actually often in these agencies where social workers are working, nobody's taking care of the carers actually. No, I think that's right. And I think if he was a
1: builder, he would have a protective harness. Yep. He would have the union breathing down the agency's neck about the fact that he's working in an unsafe environment. Yeah. We don't have that.
0: No, do you know that if he'd tripped at work, he would have been able to feed oh straight into OHS yes. and workers comp. He
1: had the lower back injury. Oh, that's not, what he should have the done. Not a heart and soul injury. No. I haven't come up with that. One There's yet. nothing for that.
0: No. So, we need to come up. I love it. That's the next podcast. But for this one, what I'm thinking while we're sitting here feeling all impassioned about this is that actually we might pull into this conversation our two producers. Because actually, we'd like to bring Justin Stetch and Ben Joseph in, because this is kind of interesting. Uh, With the four of us, we actually represent the great gamut of social work experience that's out there. So we have uh, here Justin, who is a new graduate, just finished his degree. We've got Ben who has been out practicing for a few years now. I've been out for around 15 years and Liz is topping us up here at around 30. Huge gamut of experience between us. And so to finish off our first season, I think the question for us all is after all these episodes we've recorded and all the discussions we've had, what sustains us in this social work career? What keeps us moving forward? Who wants to kick us off?
3: Well, I think for myself, I have found it really valuable in the practice experience I've had so far, which has probably been, you know, maybe five years um, at more of like a certificate or diploma level before, you know, practicing while I was studying for my degree. And I think it's been really important for me to find mentors and people in the field who have the experience to go ahead of me that I can actually Um, debrief, but also get feedback from as I go. So after we've had an incident in my work, after we've had kind of a more complex case come through, that I can actually go to and really break down that experience and what I did, what I could have done better, what um, what I would like to do differently next time. And I think for myself that that really keeps that drive and that passion going because I can see the change over time where, oh, last time I did this, this time I did this better, and I can I can see that progression and that change and that debrief and that um, I guess sharpening off of someone else more experienced has really added a lot of value to my own practice, and I would like to continue to do that, and also hopefully be able to do that for other people as I move forward in my um, in my practice and in my experience.
0: From my perspective, I agree with you completely, but over time I've also remembered the people who didn't mentor me terribly well and that's also helped me in my practice. You know, so it's actually both. It's actually the good experiences of mentorship but also the poor experiences of mentorship. I think I keep on falling in love with my
1: social work tribe as the years go on. I was a... um, I'll share with the listeners. I was less than an ideal student, I do say, and thank you to my last placement supervisor Vivian Hart who actually um, gave me the challenging conversation I needed at the time and I don't think I fully appreciated at all what I was getting myself into possibly until about 10 years into the profession when I completely burnt out and then I became a social worker and a teacher so I I continue to fall in love with my profession um, and I continue to learn from my colleagues and friends. We're an awesome tribe. We
0: really are.
4: Is it too cheeky to say that you stole all my ideas? <laughs> <laughs> that is totally cheeky. Come up with an original one, Ben. <laughs> um, I I really do agree with what all three of you have said. Um, I found myself nodding throughout that la- the last five minutes. Uh, I think the only thing that I might be able to add to that is that I'm learning to accept that I'm more than just a social worker. Uh, it is a way of life, and I feel it, I feel that it is a way of life uh, for me. But it's not, it's not the only thing that kind of encapsulates me as a person, and having fun on the weekends and at nights and with my friends and not talking about social work, um, and then maybe talking about it a little bit, and then not talking about it on purpose. Um, has been really important for me um, in being able to sustain my compassion and my willingness to learn about all things social work and um, I think that that's what works for me at the moment
0: I think it's actually remembering that you're a human within the profession yeah
4: I think that's what I'm trying to say yeah
0: yeah. yeah, that you're a person actually with a whole range of interests and mm-hmm. experiences that you bring yep. to your job.
4: And it's okay for me not to care about social work on the weekends.
0: Yes, yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> you no, know, we've got the garden that's beckoning yeah.
4: to us, Ben. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And we've got the you know the hobby farm that's down mm-hmm. the track, and Mim, mm-hmm. you've got your bookstore that's going to happen, and <laughs> Justin's got the brewery just kind of bubbling away there.
3: <laughs> that's
0: it. And I think actually that if social workers don't have those dreams and those ideas and those passions and experiences then actually that question of how to be authentic in the moment actually becomes that much harder because you've lost who you are Mm. you've become the job Or the saint. Oh, let's not be the saint. Let's not be the noble
4: social
3: worker. (laughs)
0: There's no noble
3: here, I can tell you.
4: I think that, oh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, the the other thing is that um, what I love about the profession of social workers is that we are able to be teachers and we are able to be other roles and other professions within this work and that's kind of exciting and it keeps things new and it gives us things to learn about and, and explore and I, I love that
0: yeah i think yeah mm. i'd agree with that yeah so on that point i'm thinking that we might close this podcast for the year mm-hmm. we're going to take a break now listeners we're going to put another podcast up for your listening pleasure in february uh 2019 and um and we want to really thank you for listening with us uh, this year and um, all the feedback and all the comments. Get on iTunes, rate us, leave us comments, hit that five-star mark. And, um, and in the next new year, we're hoping to launch our website for the podcast and which will help us engage with you guys in that much more real sense. I want to
4: yeah I I was going to say um, from our perspective behind the scenes I think that um, one of the things that Justin and I are really interested in is getting feedback from the listeners about how we can improve what we're doing here what is it that you want to hear about where do you want us to take this podcast tell us what you're thinking about this and we'll be responsive to that
3: absolutely and I would say as well it means so much to us the the people who have written in to us, the people who have left reviews on iTunes, the people who have retweeted the, um, the episode links, any any way that you want to interact with the work that we're putting together here, it really means a lot to us, and it's exciting when we see people sharing the work that we've put together and. Um, spreading this podcast out to their networks or sharing it on Facebook or uh, any other way of really um, getting this message out it it means so much and we really love interacting with that as we build an audience and as we um, we grow a community that is connecting to this podcast
0: absolutely so from all of us at the social work stories team uh, have a great summer and if you're celebrating a festival over this time enjoy hope you're connecting with family and friends and we look forward to being back with you in february 2019 thanks so much thank you